0: Welcome, everyone, to episode number six of Penn Station Sports Talk. I'm Jay. I'm your host. I'm with Justin and Tom today. We haven't been on air in a little while, but ever since then, a lot has went down. Basketball playoffs have started, they are into the second round. Baseball has gotten well underway. We're two, or I would say one third into the season. And some great football trades have happened. We're going to get to that all today. And I think where I want to start is the NBA playoffs because the New York Knicks were a part of it for the first time in eight years since 2013. After a surprising season, they were projected to be 12th in the Eastern Conference this year. And they had some just great coaching from Tom Thibodeau. Julius Randle broke out after being... A good player. He became a star, became an all-star. He was one of the most improved player. RJ Barrett took a step forward. Derek Rose off the bench this year. That was a great pickup for them. Helped them get to the postseason. They come in as the four-steed home court advantage against the Hawks, who have Trey Young, another emerging star. And everyone's hyped. Everyone's picking them to win. And they come out and fall flat and lose in five games. And I think a lot of the blame has to go to Julius Randall because he's supposed to be the star and he didn't play like one, just some stats here. Overall, he went, he shot 29% from the field during in the whole series. He was, and he only averaged 18 points a game compared to Trey young who averaged 30 points a game and was 44% from the field. So clearly their star was better. Ours was not very good. And the Knicks fall flat. And, yeah, it's just it was one of those things where he needed to really be at his best and he wasn't. And then the Knicks ultimately lose in five.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point you bring up about Julius Randlett. It was a tough series for him. The Hawks made it very difficult. I would have to say a lot of um, double teams, Clint Capella shaded over a lot of times, but, you know, he had a lot of open shots, a lot of open looks that he was making during the regular season. But I think his struggles are more as a result of the whole team structure. The team is good enough to make the playoffs but this team is not good enough to win a championship or to really advance deep in the playoffs. And their holes were really exploited in this series. Their lack of true shooting. Is was exposed. I know they were the third best three point shooting team in the NBA this season, but that was more just because of spot up type looks. You're getting looks in the corner, wide open shots. The second that the Hawks team made it difficult, they had to make these clutch shots throughout the game. You know, guys like Reggie Bullock and RJ Barrett, you know, they weren't able to hit their shots consistently. So, you have to look to improve in that area if you're going to advance and you need to look to improve in the center position. You know, New Noel, he was a good rim protector. He tried his best in the series with his sprained ankle, but it was in vain against Clint Capella. And obviously a guy like Taj Gibson is not really a long-term solution at that spot. So you have Mitchell Robinson been very injury prone, but I think if you're really looking at the reasons why they lost the series, I, I really point to their ability to shoot the three from, especially from the point guard position and their center position were, were two big keys in that series. Exactly.
0: They, they just, they got outplayed and, and you brought up a great point. Julius Randall was just, I, I, in my opinion watching it, he was just taking, questionable shots. You know, his shot selection was was iffy the whole series. And and listen, like you said, shots for the three-pointer and and from the point, and their point guard was better. And that was Trey Young. And you're right, this team had the parts to make it to the postseason, but this team was not gonna, I didn't think they were going any further than maybe the then they would maybe win this series. They were not going to be any of the Bucks Sixers or the Nets. Uh, This team lacks a lot. I love Julius Randle, but he cannot be the best player on this team. He has to be the co star. And they have to, I think the Knicks have to bring in someone that is a star player. Uh, If Julius is the second star, I think this team could have a shot with maybe a few more role players. And I've been hearing some rumors swirling about the Knicks possibly trying to make a trade uh, for Damian Lillard for the. Uh, to the trailblazers. That would be great. I think he's a perfect fit for this team. He's a shooter. He's a shot creator. He's just a great player overall can work really well on this team with Julius and RJ Barrett. Um, DeMar DeRozan is an unrestricted free agent. Maybe they bring him in. He's a little older, but he's still a very good basketball mind. He's a good, he's veteran, great player. Another good guy to have on your team. Um, Maybe they can get him and and Damian Lillard. Or I've heard rumors about Chris Paul um, opting out, I believe. So he might be on the market, possibly. Uh, But overall, like you said, Justin, this team, there's a lot to like here. I just think that in order to take the next step, they have to improve. And they have to get a a real shooter who can knock down some threes like they weren't able to do in this series.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting whether they bring in that superstar, they make that big trade this offseason. You know, you don't want to give up your young core. They have five first-round picks in the next three years. You don't really want to lose all of that. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to waste – guys when they're good you know julius randall had an excellent season he's blossoming into an all-star you know pairing him with like a guy like damian lillard that's you're like already a title contender with those two so you don't want to waste it but at the same time you, you really can't lose a guy like rj barrett in a trade you know he's a 21 year old he's averaging like 17 points a game He's only going to improve. You know, you've got guys it's like Obi Toppin showed some promise, like Emmanuel Quickly showed some promise. You know, you don't really want to lose those types of guys, but at the same time, you want to improve your team. I, I really think this offseason, they should look in some short-term point guard options. guy that I really would like them to sign this offseason is Kyle Lowry. I think he'd be an excellent pick pickup for one to two years, you know, unless obviously if they can get like a guy like Damian Lillard, I heard a little bit of Bradley Beal possibly if they get one of those two guys, you know, all in, but I I really hope they don't go for an aging star, like a John wall or a Russell Westbrook type player from last season and make a mistake as they have in the past. I
0: agree with that. And, and my defense for making this trade is, Yes, you don't want to break up the court, but I really do think they can get Damian Lillard without trading R.J. Barrett, which I would not want to do as a a Knicks as a, the Knicks front office. I like Quickly. I think he's good. Toppin showed some promise, but I'm okay giving them away. And let's be honest, even if the Knicks were to trade three or four first rounders for Damian Lillard, hypothetically, in doing so, they would they would be a, a playoff team every year, and the pick would be in the twenties. And the odds of any of those picks in the twenties being as good as Damian Willard are very very small. So I think you have to make that trade if you're the Knicks because that it, it opens up that window for you to win a championship. I like I said, none of those picks are going to be even close to what Dame is right now. So I think you got to pull the trigger. Kyle Lowry could be a good fit, but I think they they need a star, and I think it has to be Damian Lillard because I know Kawhi Leonard could opt out, and I was hoping that if he got knocked out in the first round, which they almost did. Um, interesting, interesting thing about that Mavs-Clippers series was the road team won every single game except for game seven. Uh, the Mavs were up 2-0. They were up 3-2, and the Clippers fought back. Kawhi carried them. I believe it was game six or 70. Shot like sixty percent, forty-five points, just put the team on his back, and uh, he's a guy that obviously I think you'd rather—I um, don't know if you'd rather have him or Dame, but either of them. Uh, I know he had—he has an opt-out, and I've heard he—he wants to stay in LA. He's not going to take it, so that would probably be out of the question. So, yeah, I just really I just think the Knicks, they need a star that isn't besides Julius Randall. They need him to be this, the co-star. They need a guy who can just who can score. They just need an all around bona fide stud to make this team to, into a contender.
2: Yeah, you, you guys kind of focused on the negatives of the Knicks in your in your beginning. So I'm going to actually start with the positives. And from what I could tell from the series, the positives were really that RJ Barrett played at a very high level and he, he's kind of seemed like he could break out soon. And, uh, Derek Rose was pretty solid as a scorer. He definitely works well with Tom Thibodeau, which we have seen over and over again. And, uh, yeah, otherwise it was pretty bad. I don't know how you have Reggie Bullock starting on a playoff team. That's kind of a uh, disgraceful for the NBA, but, uh, yeah. Other otherwise, like they they fought hard. It, it wasn't a great series for them, but uh, yeah, Atlanta just had too much power with John Collins coming back, Clint Capella, uh, Trey Young just beasting out. But uh, the whole city was behind the Knicks this year, which was kind of crazy to see again after uh so so long being out after the Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stoudemire breakup and just. It was cool to see that the Knicks were actually good, good again this year. Even though I'm a Nets fan, I loved watching that and seeing them actually compete for the for a playoff spot.
1: Yeah, definitely. It, it was great. You know, it's been so many years since I'm a Knicks man myself, and it's just been so many long years. I think the last year they made the were a real playoff team they were like the two seed was I think 2013 and they lost in the second round to the Pacers and that was like the last time you know you really had that feeling that they were like a good team they were a contender and you know I had those same types of vibes this year so I hope they retain a lot of the people that they had on this team I think Tommy brought up Derek Rose and he was such trading Dennis Smith Jr. for Derek Rose that was a season saving trade that they made and I, I really hope they bring him back next year because he gave it his all at the end of the season to get the four seed and in all five games of the playoffs
0: and Tom's right uh, there were some positives in this series like uh, RJ Barrett I think who I think had an, an excellent set second season Obviously, it doesn't help when the two picks in front of you are Zion, who's a generational guy, and so is John ja Moran, who actually got his own, carried his own team into the playoffs pretty much by himself. I mean, they have some talent on that team, but really the main guy there is John ja Moran, and he's just phenomenal. But yeah, RJ Barrett was better in this series, and you're right, Derek Rose was a great pickup. Alfred Payton's not, not too liked in New York. Um, I don't, I don't think he's good at all. The team plays better when, when um, Derek Rose is on the floor and they got to retain some of these guys. And Tom, you mentioned the nets. We're going to talk about them when they made this trade for James Harden. They went, well, actually really went, when, when I guess this signing Durant, you know, all, all of this, they went all in and then they got Harden. They had their big three. They're expected to make it to an NBA Finals. And honestly, they're kind of expected to win it with what they gave up. And I have some stats here from the Nets-Bucks series, which has gone great for the Nets so far. They're up 2-0. And in game one, the Nets absolutely dominated. The score doesn't really tell the tale. The Bucks were 6 of 30 from three. Chris Middleton was dreadful, 6 of 23 from the four – Drew Holiday, 7 of 19, could not get anything going out there. Giannis was the only one that was doing any of the scoring. Sloppy defense. Obviously, it's hard to defend all those three, even though James Harden got hurt, but it's hard to defend even Durant alone. Imagine him with with Kyrie and and, uh, James Harden. Blake Griffin had a good game. And then game two last night, or uh, on Monday night, The Bucs again were just 37 of 84 from the field, eight of twenty-seven from three. Chris Middleton again, seven of twenty shooting. Giannis with only 18 points. They lost 125 to 86. An absolute blowout by the Nets, who didn't even have James Harden last night. And I think this just this is kind of just a telltale sign that the Nets could possibly cakewalk to the NBA finals. It's just, it's looking bad for the Bucks. They just, their coaching is off. Everything is off. The Nets just look like such a, a better team. And Giannis really, you know, he he can't carry them against all those, the, against that big three. So uh, it's really looking to me like the Nets are going to have it easy on their way to the finals.
2: Yeah. If Joel and Embiid can come back healthy and just absolutely dominate whoever the center is for the Nets because they don't really have a center that works very well on defense. I guess Blake Griffin did okay on offense the last few games and uh, DeAndre Jordan's just bad. I don't know why we ever traded away Jared Allen, but uh, it's it's kind of just like unless Embiid absolutely takes over and scores 50 points a game, they're going to the finals. And After that, it's got to be the Suns just outscoring them, which I don't see happening. So it's, it's really like, who, who can step up besides Nikola Jokic, the uh, new MVP of the NBA, to uh, go and try to take down this hated Brooklyn team? But yeah, they, they've been playing very well. Uh, Harden, when he's actually in the lineup, is doing very well. Uh, Kyrie, I, I hate having him on my team so much because he's just so weird. But uh, he, he plays when he's in and he's he has his head on the game. He's playing very well, so I'm okay with it. And then Kevin Durant's just a basketball player, so that's just how it is.
0: I like how you mentioned the Suns. What about um the Clippers? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't personally think the Nuggets are, are going to make it past the Suns, but um. It seems, sounds to me like you're just assuming that the Suns are going to make it out of the West. Are you saying the Clippers don't have a chance to beat them, saying the Jazz don't have a chance to beat them, or that's just your prediction?
2: I mean, That's just kind of my prediction. I, I like the Suns a lot as a team with Devin Booker starting to rise up a lot and Chris Paul being amazing. If he can actually stay healthy, which he doesn't seem to do in the playoffs, but uh, they made it through without, without him being healthy in the first round. Uh, If Chris Paul can stay healthy, I think it's it's just theirs to win at this point. Like, Denver's okay. Without Jamal Murray, they're not going to be able to stop them. And then the Clippers and the the Jazz are going to have a long series, I think. It's going to be a tough grinding series after the Clippers have already had a long seven-game series. So unless the Jazz come out and win that within, like, five or six games and the and they uh, just kind of start stepping up with Rudy Gobert playing really well. And they they just don't have the playoff leadership or experience to really come out and come out of that Western Conference and try to take on the Nets. I think
0: you bring up some good points there. I I I like the Suns too, and and I was I was saying before myself that Devin Booker. It's not even that he's underrated. I just don't think he gets enough credit for how good he actually is. He is really a, a, a great player, phenomenal player. He is just – I think he's very good. I think he, he – I think, I think he still is a little bit underrated. I think he can – he has a great supporting cast. Like you said, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton's a good defender, a good rebounder, good on, under the hoop. And Chris Paul, if he could stay healthy – just a good team that they have in in Phoenix. Um, but I, I I know they've they've choked, but you you still I still like the Clippers. Um, any team with Kawhi Leonard on it is is going to be a contender in my book. Uh, that's that's just how it is, and the Jazz too. They were the number one seed, and Donovan Mitchell is another phenomenal star with Rudy Gobert. So I think the West is is wide open really besides the Nuggets, who honestly, I think if they had Jamal Murray, they they would be my favorite to win because Jokic, obviously MVP, and J- bubble Jamal last year was an un- was unstoppable. But I think between the Jazz Clippers and the Suns, it's wide open for any of those three teams. And I think out of all those teams, I think the Clippers have the best shot at, at, at beating the Nets, just because I simply think um, Kawhi is a good defender, and I think they can outscore them. But – I don't see really anyone standing in the Nets' way. To be honest, I think this is their this is theirs for the taking, especially with what they're doing in the Bucs right now. Unless the Bucs can somehow turn it around, I think that's gonna, that could be a sweep or a five-game series. And then as for the Nets, I'm sorry, the uh, Hawks and the Sixers, the same thing is happening with Trey Young. You know, the Knicks fans booed him. And he honestly took a liking to it. He took on this persona of being the villain and he re- went and ran with it and he did not let it get to his head. And now the same thing's happening in, with the 76ers. He is just becoming this hated player in Philly and New York. And he loves it. He's embracing it. He's playing well with it. They, he, he won game one in Philly. They went in there, they shot, they, they hit 23s. The Sixers almost came storming back. They didn't. Joel Embiid played well despite the injuries. And and listen, who knows? Maybe the Hawks will be the surprise team and they'll they'll come out here and beat the Sixers and play the Nets. But as of right now, I think like I said before, it's just the Nets, the Nets are just gonna cruise, be in cruise control until the finals.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy. The Nets, even without James Harden still destroying the Bucks. It's it's looking like they're going to be the team from the East. I, I would be very surprised if they did not win the East and at least go to the finals. In the West, though, it's as you guys said, it's wide open. Like, you know, all I would say, even maybe all four teams have a shot. I the Nuggets would probably be my fourth choice, maybe of the West to go to the finals, but you know, you have an excellent series between the Jazz and the Clippers. You know, the Clippers, they have Kawhi Leonard, they have Paul George, but then with the Jazz, you know, you have like a guy like Rigo Bear, who the Clippers struggled against the Dallas Big Men in that series. One of the big reasons why it went to seven games. So I think that will be an interesting development. And the Suns look great. Chris Paul's directing that offense. Devin Booker, he's finally getting to play in the national spotlight, as Jay said, getting some more recognition, well-deserved recognition. And DeAndre Eaton's finally coming, you know, showing why he was the number one pick. So they're a dangerous team. I think, you know, if you had a Suns Nets finals or a Clippers Nets finals, I think both would be very interesting and could possibly go six, seven games.
0: I agree with you. And um, yeah, the, the Mavs and the Clippers, that was a great series. I really wanted to see Luka Doncic on the second round, unfortunately a first round exit. And you're right. The, the, Clippers did struggle in that series. They they did not – it wasn't easy. They had to they had to fight and claw their way back from 2-2 two, two game deficit or a 2-0 deficit and a 3-2 deficit. But they did, and that's because of Kawhi Leonard, like I said. So when you have a guy like him, I can never count you out, but you, I can't deny they did struggle. That being said, that's why I think it is a wide open. I just – the reason I don't want to put the Nuggets in there is because I feel like besides Jokic, they don't really have – a second star, um, Michael Porter Jr. is a great shooter. That's the only part of his game that I feel like is fully developed. He's still young and raw. Good player, but a lot to work on. Had not having Jamal Murray is a huge blow. Uh, they they just struggled so much with with you, Jokic keeps them afloat, but. You know, the MVP, obviously, and what I want to mention about Jokic is what's crazy to me is he was a second round pick. It wasn't like this guy was a top five pick. This guy was drafted in the second round, which for those who don't know, the NBA second round is like the NFL seventh round. Rarely do guys make it and let alone do they have an impact. And now one of them is not only a star, he's the most valuable player. That's the first time that's happened. I'm pretty sure, and I think that already makes him the greatest second round pick of all time, probably behind like Manu Ginobili or something. But it's just incredible what he's able to do with that team. And you know, overall, though, I think if 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 you're if you're a basketball fan, for me, for entertainment, I kind of want to see the Nets versus the Clippers. I would love to see. That big three versus Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. But I like I said, the Suns, Devin Booker is very entertained to watch. Devon Donovan Mitchell, any of those teams, any any of those four teams have star power that I want to watch. The uh, Jazz Clippers game, I believe, starts in about five minutes. So that should be interesting, too. And, yeah, I guess we'll see where the rest of the playoffs takes us.
1: Yeah, definitely. Before the season started, my prediction was, you know, clippers nets. So I'm I'm hoping it comes true. Wow. We'll see. You, you
2: saw the future, I guess. <laughs> I do want to say the uh, NBA MVP voting just came out and uh Derek Rose got a vote. Of course, it was the fan vote, but he got a vote, so that's pretty sick. Wow. Uh that you know so <laughs> did Julius Randle get any votes? No, Julius Randle did not get near a vote, probably. Wow, so, so Derek <laughs> Rose got one.
1: I, I think back. Julius got some, like, second and third place votes. He, he probably I, did. I don't remember exactly where he was, but he was, like, I think he was, like, six or seven. And him and Derek Rose were, like, back-to-back, which is pretty funny. Well, he he won
0: most improved
1: player. So the Knicks have that to uh,
0: hone in on. But, I, like I said, they have to get another star. Um, I think we're going to move on now to some baseball, and uh, it's about two months in, about a third of the way there, and the hitting this year has been dreadful, or the pitching this year has been great, I don't know, I don't really have a solid answer for that, because there's a lot of debate going on, Uh, batting averages are down, I have some stats here, so the Seattle Mariners are last in the league in team average, they're hitting 209, just think about that that is that is horrible there have been six no hitters including the mariners and the indians have been hit no hit twice okay and i looked at the last full season was 2019 and the lowest team batting average belonged to the toronto blue jays who at 236 as a team this year alone 15 teams that's right half the league is hitting below 236 and two teams are hitting at 236. So if you, you count that all 17 teams are hitting at or below the worst team average in 2020 and 2019, that's how bad hitting has been this year. I look at every lineup every day and there are, there are at least two or three guys in each lineup that are hitting 180 or below. It, it is just ridiculous. And Francisco Lindor for the Mets, the million-dollar man, is hitting just 218. And he actually, he's been hot because he's been better. He was hitting 190 at one point. He's actually kind of, he's been a lot better. And so now the talk is, why is this happening? Did, is it because they they, um, they deaden the balls a little bit? Is it because of that? Or is it because of foreign substance, which has been in the news a lot recently? Have pitchers been using it too much? We all know this, that pitchers use it all the time, usually just a little bit because it helps you with to grip the ball so that you don't drill someone in the face. Because when you're throwing 100 miles per hour, you need something to help you help you grab the ball. But when you use too much of it, it's obviously going to help your spin rate go up. And spin with all these analytics and statistics, spin rate has been one of the top ones. And interestingly enough, a star pitcher in this town for the New York Yankees, Garrett Cole, is having a great year, then the MLB releases this statement saying that if a pitcher is found to be using foreign substances, uh, they will be suspended for 10 games, and in his first game pitching after that, he gives up five runs to the Rays, and his spin rate is down almost four, five, four or 500 um, rates per minute. And to add on to that, today there was an interview with Garrett Cole, Um and they were talking about spider tack. Now, spider tack is, is this substance that's like a pine tar. It's mainly used for power lifters to get grip. It's very, it's like a goopy substance. And when asked if he used it, Garrett Cole was very, very hesitant. He said, I don't quite know how to answer that. Then there was about 11 seconds of silence. And he said, To be honest, if the MOB wants to have legit, have the, le- if the MB wants to legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation we can have. I can't play the clip here because um I don't know if I legally have the right to, but pretty much it was a lot of uh I don't I don't know. He was very hesitant to answer that question. So with that being said, I want to get your guys' opinion on just the hitting this year. Garrett Cole is Foreign substance. Justin, let's start with you. Let's hear what you got to say.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy how – and I think that Mariners batting average has been going up recently, too. It it's, has. It was, I well remember, like – Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I remembered. Like, that was in, like, um, a month ago, though, or something. I, I was, like – I saw the stat, and I'm, like, oh, my gosh, they're hitting 190. That's, like, ridiculous. But – but yeah, I, the hitting's you know down. I know they tighten the ball slightly to take a few like feet off of them in the off season, but I don't think like that would really be the cause of batting averages to like go down so much. So, is it you know increased foreign substance abuse, maybe, I, or is it just? pitchers are better than hitters at this point and all the averages will even out as the season goes along. And as the weather continues to get hotter, I mean, that's also a possibility, but it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that we'll see if the MLB starts to get a little stricter on what substances are allowed to be put on the baseball, that some pitchers are going to have to adjust this. And there's going to be a lot more runs given up in the next month or next couple months as they start to really clamp down on it but the mlb if they're going to do that they need to make it very clear what can be used what can't be used and how they're going to enforce it because you don't want like you know a team that has like maybe a history of cheating recently such as like the astros or red sox to uh, be getting their you know baseballs checked all the time and then some other team like the Mariners never get it checked. So it'll be interesting to see how they go about it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, I feel like they can never get it right. You know, the pitchers are complaining a couple years ago, the balls are too juice. Justin Verlander spoke out about that. Actually now they're saying that it's too uh, much of an advantage and no one's hitting. I think, I think it's partly maybe the foreign substances, substances, maybe you know, guys aren't used to this full season yet, and they, they take a while to, to heat up. There have been some guys that have been hitting, and one of those guys I want to bring up, I want to bring up Jesse Winker of the Reds, who was a first-round pick a few years ago, and he always kind of just, you know, hovered there. He was always a decent player and this year he is absolutely breaking out and he he has been phenomenal this year. This year he leads the lead. he tied for the league leading home runs with 17. He's batting 350 and his OPS is 1077. So this this guy is an MVP candidate out of nowhere along with his teammate Nick Castellanos who's hitting 359. He leads the league in batting and You know, both of these guys have just been great hitters out of nowhere this year. Yet the funny thing is the Reds are still batting 249 and they lead the National League in batting at 249. So really goes to show you that even though two guys are hitting great, the rest of the team's not hitting. Um, Just wanted to throw that in there. Tom, I want to hear your thoughts about the whole Garrett Cole situation and the foreign substances and the low batting averages.
2: Yeah, well, uh, Ford and substances have been a huge problem in the MLB, especially over the past couple of years where a guy, a a guy in Trevor Bauer absolutely like called it out and demonized it. And then once he realized he had, he was up for a contract just started using it and absolutely tore up the league, became Cy Young winner. Just like, it's just sad to see that people have to resort to cheating to actually go and make money that they deserve. But, uh, yeah. I, th- I think that hit- hitters in this league are going to start seeing an increase in the next couple of months, but so far this year, it's been really bad. And, uh, yeah, uh, other than that, like you, you mentioned some guys who are just bringing out out of nowhere as hitters. So I'm going to mention the Ehrmanator real quick because, uh, he just kind of came out of the woodworks as a 29-year-old rookie and absolutely studded all over the league and just destroyed everyone at the, at the plate and has been doing really well, especially hitting home runs. And, uh, yeah, there's there's just been a really weird and wacky season from the MLB this year. And uh, there's teams doing really well who didn't weren't expected to at all. And then there was teams who were doing really poorly who were expected to do well. It's just been a wacky season and I don't really know what else to say about it. You're absolutely right it
0: has been wacky and um, yeah there's there's no telling for sure if people are using foreign substances. I'm sure if there was the 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 batting averages were up and there was more home runs no one would be saying that it's just because strikeouts are up the home runs are down but that's the way the game's going. It's been going that way the home runs have been going up every single year because everyone's swinging for the fences. And in return with that, the strikeouts are going up every year. That's why there's so many pitchers now that strike out 12, 13 guys, 14 guys per nine innings. Um, and yeah, the Eurominator, I love him. And bringing him up, I want to talk about the uh, the incident where the uh, they were playing the Twins. They were, I believe, 15 to four. And, and Williams Ostudillo, who is a catcher, was pitching for the Twins. The one about 50 miles an hour and on and a three Oh count in the ninth inning Mercedes took him deep. I don't see an issue with it. Um, you know, a lot of old baseball fans would say that that's, that's against the rules. So why, so then why should he, why even, you know, be at the plate then if you're supposed, if you're supposed to take a pitch, why, why even play? And you know what? I don't like Tony LaRusso. I didn't like him before. And I don't like him even more now because he did something unforgivable, and that was throwing his guy under the bus. I never, ever, ever respect a manager or a coach who does not back his player. Who He, in fact, not only didn't back him, he threw him under the bus, and he threatened to punish him for it. That, to me, is is just unforgivable from a manager, and I think – I think that that shows a lot about who he is. He's an old, he's 79 years old and I get it, He's been in baseball for a while, but I never condone. I, I understand you could be frustrated with him for doing that, but in mind the in his defense, how about the team? How about the twins? How about don't be down 15 to four? How about, or how about don't throw the ball right over the middle three Oh, you know, I just think, La Russa is in the wrong there. He should have – I think it's kind of blown over now, but I just wanted to say that that is an unforgivable thing to not back your player, especially to throw him under the bus like that. But, um, yeah, he's been great. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been fantastic this year. He's an MVP candidate in the American League. He's tied for the league lead in home runs. Just some some overall uh, – he he's breaking out. And, and, you know, talk about teams that are underperforming the Braves. The Braves are supposed to be a favorite to win the national league. They're under 500. The Mets are in first place by a few games, surprisingly with, with the way their hitting has been surprising. Their pitching has been phenomenal, but we'll get to that in a second. The Dodgers have been underperforming, although they've had injuries and, and the San Francisco giants are in first place. This team who was expected to be in a cellar is in first place some great pitching from Kevin Gosman who is a guy that was a that was supposed that was a top prospect at one point didn't do much struggled now he's having the best season of his career and 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 there you go so lots of surprises this year and i think the next the the next 4 months of this
1: season are going to be a lot of fun we'll we'll see how it turns out yeah definitely a lot a lot of surprises another guy to mention was Shohei Otani. He's been crazy. Yeah,
0: how could I forget the guy, crazy. the the sensation he is?
1: He's I it's just it's crazy to me that a guy can he's like he's like the leader in the league in the home runs or he's like second or third and then he's you know throwing like a mid-threes ERA, you know, chucking the ball 98 miles an hour. I mean I've never seen anything like it. Every single day it's a new highlight with him it's it's unbelievable I I know there's supposed to be another really good international prospect that's come like supposed to come over that's similar to him but like I'm not sure if he's as like dual faceted or anything like that
2: yeah I, d- I did uh I did diss Otani before the season and uh in in this podcast and uh he he has really proved me wrong by a lot uh his his pitching's been very solid of course his uh his uh spin rate has spiked which we all know what that means but uh, otherwise like he's an insanely good hitter and like he he's always been a pretty good pitcher but he's just getting even better with you know this this illegal thing that nobody's using because if one person's using it then everyone's using it So, uh, yeah, his spin rate has just gotten really better for no reason, you know. But he's been a very good player. And uh, I I really have to say that uh, he has definitely beaten me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I was – I criticized him too. He hit 190 last year, could not hit, pitched a game or two and was terrible. And this year, he really came back. He really showed us how phenomenal of an athlete he is. I, I just go back to early in the season, that Sunday night game against the White Sox. Um, first inning, throwing one 101. one Then he gets up to the plate, and a fastball hits an absolute bomb, which I have to say, you guys probably know the clip I'm talking about, where Matt Surgeons like, first pitch crushing. And the ball sounded so nice off the bat, like it was. A, it sounded like a, an absolute bomb, and it was. And it just showed you how impressive it was to throw a hundred and then hit a ball over hundred miles per hour. Um, true phenom. He's been kind of quiet recently with the bat. Still six, still uh, one behind the lead in home runs. And he's been a great pitcher this year. He's been their best pitcher. It's something that the Angels don't usually have. Um, he has spotty control at sometimes he walks a lot of people, but he's been a lot better with that. It's just unfortunate to me that there's guys like him and trout on the same team and they probably won't make the playoffs because other than the two of them, the team is just pretty bad and, and they have no pitching. They have no bullpen. It's sad, you know, trout's on the IL right now, but he's still a top five player, probably still the best player in the league. And it's sad that we can't can't see them in the postseason. Um, the Yankees, since we're Penn Station, try to address how they've struggled mightily this year overall. They, they had some moments where the offense is better, but overall the offense has been dreadful. They're not hitting with runners in scoring position. Uh, a lot of guys are struggling. The pitching hasn't even been that great either. Besides Cole, Kluber's been good, but and Herman's been good, but Tyone's been terrible. And it's just, it's been an overall struggle for the Yanks so far.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting how like, you know, the Yankees, they're they're uh, I think they're 31 and 29 like overall, which if they were like in the NL, they would be like, you know, a top team like NL East you know they'd be like right up there but then you go to like a great division in the AL East and they're like all the way at four which is just shocking to me and teams like that we really didn't expect to be that good like a team like the Red Sox has just come out of nowhere and been like one of the best teams in Major League Baseball and shows really how quick of a turnaround it can be but I do think it's very early a lot of times You know, people overreact to some of these, especially as a Phillies fan, the Phillies have had a lot of quick starts the past, like, I would say five years went during their rebuilding years. And then over time, it sort of evens out. So I'm really interested to see if these types of teams like even out or if these are just for, you know, team like the Red Sox is really just much better than they were last year.
0: Yeah, the, the Red Sox, too. They're under surprise, and um, they were not expected to be good this year, and their offense has been great. They've gotten some good pitching. A lot of teams like that this year. Um, I remember, Tom, I kind of dissed the Brewers uh, in the beginning of the season. I kind of just, like, glanced over them, um, and they're in first place right now. Their pitching, starting pitching, has been ridiculously good. Brandon Woodruff leads the – I'm pretty sure – let me just check my stats here to make sure I'm right. He's, he's third in the National League in ERA. Corbin Burns is fourth in the league. Both guys under two ERAs. Freddie Peralta, another breakout star who came out of nowhere for the Braves. Their starting ERA is just through the roof this year. Another surprise team. I remember I kind of just forgot about them. And I, you can't. When, and they have Josh Hader in the bullpen. And they have Yelich still, who is an, he was a former MVP, a team that you can't count out. And and you're right, Justin, what you said about it, now is not the time to panic. You know, the Nationals that in 2019 were 19 and 31 to their first 50 games, and they ended up winning the World Series. Now, that's not going to happen every year. But the point is, the I don't freak out the first two months. I wouldn't. And especially for the Mets, and you're in first place right now, there's no time to panic. So lots of baseball left. But, you know, I think what the Yankees have to do for their sake, I think they need to trade for a left-handed bat. Uh, to Because I feel like they don't, they don't have one in the lineup that, that's powerful enough. And honestly, I'm kind of thinking of Anthony Rizzo as a possibility. The Cubs have been red hot, though. So I'm not sure they would want to deal him away. But if they do falter, which I think they could, I think that could be a possibility. I think he would do well in Yankee Stadium with that short Porsche. But they do need a bat that's left-handed, that's, that's, that has some power. So I think he could be an option there. I just think that th- they're just in shambles right now. Everyone wants the manager fire. Everyone wants the hitting coach fire. I don't think that's going to really solve anything. This is just a – a team epidemic right now where they they just cannot hit. And it's sad. you know, the Yankees are supposed to be a powerhouse with their offense, and they haven't been, and they've struggled. So only time will tell if they'll come out of it, if if they'll turn it around.
2: Yeah. um, The Yankees have been very bad, as you guys have said. Yes. Aaron Judge, after April, has been very good. He's going to be an all-star. Other than that, Glaber's started to turn around a little bit. Gio's been good. Otherwise, it's been very, very bad. Um, Shohei just hit a 470 foot bomb into center. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say, <laughs> the, uh, I
0: saw the highlight of it real quick, and he, he, yeah, he's he's very good. Let's put it that way.
2: It was uh, on cue. <laughs> yeah, but uh, right right now, I think there needs to be a switch up with the Yankees roster for sure. I, th- I think they should go straight to Jason Dominguez and bring him up over and start him over Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks has been hitting about 190. Jason Dominguez brings a left-handed bat who can just kind of play play with these guys. And he's not going to just go and try to hit for power. So that's really what the Yankees need along with a catcher who can actually play the sport. But, uh, yeah, the Yankees have been very bad, and I'm not very happy about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's tough. You know, you, you really don't know whether to, you know, react to what's happened so far or, you know, keep going along. And then if you wait too long, then it's too late to make a change. So it's, it's tough to balance that, you know, it's already mid June at this point and, you know, soon enough the trade deadline will be upon us and you don't want to wait too long, but you also, you don't want to like, Get rid of people who are, you know, probably due for positive regression this season. So it's a very tough balance, especially in this strange MLB season that we've been having so far. Tom,
0: you mentioned Jason Dominguez. Uh, I, I really don't think uh, he is even close to being called up. He is, he's 18 years old and uh, he hasn't played a game yet above rookie ball. So yeah, that, that, that is not going to happen anytime soon.
2: Well, they need Um, to try
0: something. Called up, (laughs) What? They need to try something. (laughs) They do, but he is, yeah, he's not going to be the option right now. He's probably at least a year or two away from being called up, but yeah, I can't think of them off the top of my head. Any left-handed bat. I just know Anthony Rizzo sounds like it could be a potential fit. Um, because they also, I think they, they need a first baseman. So that would just make sense to me, but you're right. They have to change something because other than judge Stanton was good for a while. And I think he got hurt again. Um, but Stanton, a judge has been good. Other than that, DJ LeMayhew he's been okay. He hasn't been the guy he usually is. Uh, Clint Frazier's been just dreadful at the plate. It looks like he has no idea what he's doing up there. Hicks has been dreadful. The pretty much the whole lineup has. Gil Rochelle has been okay. Glaber's been better, but not great. Just a lot of guys that are just okay. Besides Judge, and they need to be better than that. They they they're they're a team that relies on big offensive numbers, good bullpen, and the bullpen hasn't even been that great. Chapman's been phenomenal this year. But the bullpen itself has been just okay as well. The whole team is just okay. And in order to make it to a World Series, they have to be better than okay. You know, they were expected on paper to have one of the best rosters. They were expected to make it to the World Series, and I don't know if they're going to. It's been a real struggle for them. Um, the Mets, they have been a weird team. They have, they have been the, one of the worst hitting and scoring teams in the league. they They don't hit. Um, no one's hitting, Lindor isn't hitting, nobody is They've had been riddled with injuries Kevin Pillar took a ball to the face And still came back two weeks later But what has been good on the Mets is the pitching The pitching has been outstanding They're second in the league in ERA at 3.05 And their starting starters have been fantastic Jacob DeGrom, we'll get to him in a second Because he's in, in, some, in a record-breaking position right now Marcus Stroman's been great. His ERA is at 2.40. He's been fantastic this year. Taiwan Walker has been a great pickup and I'm pretty sure his ERA is lower than Trevor Bowers and the Mets got him for two years, 20 million. And then Bowers three years, 105 million. So like that signing and the bullpen too, for the Mets, the bullpen's also been really good this year. Familia, his ERA is low. He's been really good. His sinker velocity is up. Edwin Diaz has been the guy. He looks He looks somewhat like the he looks almost like the guy that the Mets traded for originally. Miguel Castro, Trevor May's been shaky, but he's been pretty good. There are A lot of guys that have just stepped up for this Mets team. And I just want to mention the Grom real quick. He has the lowest ERA through nine starts ever in a season at point six two. Did you know that? It, and by that logic, he gives up less than a run per nine innings. So if he, if in his next start he goes the distance, he goes nine innings, gives up one run, his ERA will go up, which is which is ridiculous. And a lot of people are saying that ERA record of 1.12 by Bob Gibson in a full season that doesn't maybe that doesn't seem so um, unrealistic with Degrom. Do I think it's going to happen? No, but is he the best pitcher in baseball by by far? He has proven that already. Um, so, yeah, the Mets are not in the best shape either, but I think they look a little bit better than the Yankees right now. But both New York teams, their bats have to wake up and if they want to make a run.
1: Yeah, it's just amazing to me how DeGrom, with essentially one real, like, amazing pitch in his fastball, can just strike out every single hitter. Like, I, I can't even think of a other pitcher in the entire Major League Baseball that has, like, one pitch as good as Jacob DeGrom's fastball. He just, you know, he can just go out there. He could throw his fastball for, like, six innings straight and give up, like, one run. And it's just, it amazes me that nobody can hit it.
0: You're absolutely right. He pretty much only uses the fastball on the slider. He occasionally will throw in a changeup, and he's thrown two curveballs this year, exactly two. Uh, his fastball shouldn't even be a fastball. It should be a different pitch because that's what it is. It has so much run on it, and it's, it just comes at you. And the funny thing is, I think hitters know it's coming. They just can't hit it, or you can't make good contact on it. They pop out, they ground out, they strike. You just can't make good contact. That's just how it is. It's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal pitch. And it's incredible. He's doing all this while only throwing like one or two pitches. So you're absolutely right. DeGrom has been fantastic. Um, We'll see if he can get that record. I don't know if he's going to be able to, but I think it's just a joy for everyone right now to watch what he's been doing. Watch how dominant he's been.
2: Yeah. As a uh, fellow pitcher, Jacob DeGrom's uh, uh, cutter, slider, curveball kind of breakdown is kind of insane. Like the way he uses his setup pitches, using that that slider and the cutter to really uh, show the same exact pitch over and over again. And then having the same spin on every single ball, it's just fun to watch him pitch every time he goes out. And uh, it's very, very hard to hit as a hitter when you see the same exact spin and then the ball just breaks last second, and it could be anything. It could be a cutter. It could be a curveball. It could be a slider. And it's just going to move away from you, and you just got to guess which one it is if it's uh, oh, if he has two strikes on you. And it's a lot of times you're of wrong.
0: Time. <laughs> and most of the time it O two. 0-2. And then you just get a fastball in the outer half that you just can't hit, or you get a nasty slider that's going 93 miles per hour. It's – unfair really is but um almost out of time here i think we i want to talk about one more thing before we go and i want to talk about football specifically a trade that occurred this past sunday and that was the trade for julio jones the the falcons were rumored to trade him i didn't i didn't think I really didn't think that they were going to trade him. I, I really thought this was kind of just a rumor, but it happened. They traded Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans in exchange for, well, they got the the Falcons received, the Titans received Julio Jones in a sixth round pick in 2023 for a 2022 second rounder and a 2023 third rounder. In my opinion, that's a horrible trade. I think the Falcons got fleeced. Uh, Julio is 32 so he is getting older but I still think he's a top 10 receiver and uh, first of all I just want to talk about the impact on the Titans offense that just makes that offense unstoppable I mean it already was I think top five in points with Derek if everyone forgets they still got Derek Henry who was the offensive player of the year led the league in, in yards and now they had AJ Brown, who is developing himself into a top tier receiver, and now they get Julio. It's this is just unfair. Um, I really think I really wanted the Ravens to get Julio because I think they needed a one receiver, but I the Titans. That should be fun to watch. I can't wait to watch them just for entertainment purposes. And if you're Ryan Tannehill, you got the easiest job on the planet. You either can hand it off to Derrick Henry, or you can throw it deep to one of Julio or AJ Brown, and they'll probably come down with it. Realistically, that's not the case, but that kind of is the case. Uh, yeah, this this offense is just going to be lethal next year. It's I there's nothing else to say about it. Uh, Tom or Justin, either one of you want to say your thoughts about the trade?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you have now you have two arguably top ten wide receivers. You have a top five running back, arguably you know the best running back in the entire National Football League, and you did it all, and all you did, gave up was a second round pick, you know, second and fourth rounder. The Patriots I had saw you know a couple of years ago they traded a second rounder for Mohamed Sanu, so that's sort of like. The type of value you're getting if you think about how much does like a wide receiver two cost versus a wide receiver one. You know, if the Titans are going for it all right now, you know, they if making a trade for Julio Jones that sort of like ups their uh Super Bowl window, I would say. You know, you want to take advantage of Derrick Henry's best years, especially with the rising AJ Brown. I believe they. They lost, um, they had, I think they had the 23rd best passing offense, but one of the best overall offenses because of Derrick Henry. So they had to make some sort of replacement for Johnny Smith and Corey Davis. And they did it perfectly with Julio Jones. And, you know, it, it's really exciting there in Tennessee. And they, they should be pumped for the team that they're going to be trotting out next fall.
2: Yeah, I'm all in on this trade. I I said it as soon as like, as soon as Julio said on live TV that he was getting traded, like to Shannon Sharp for whatever reason he, I guess, wanted to make his team his future team better. Uh, what whatever reason he had for saying on live television that he was getting traded, um, it definitely worked out in the Titans' favor. Losing Corey Davis and Johnny Smith, like you gotta definitely like. Take that in consideration. The offense might not be as good as we're thinking it is, but when you have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown on the same team, that's kind of unstoppable no matter what. And Derrick Henry, so, yeah. And Taylor Lawrence coming back next year. They signed Bud Dupree on the defense. Was that – I believe that was the signing they made. Uh, they they signed one big edge ed rusher. I'm pretty sure it was Bud, De, did it Bud Dupree. It was. But, it yeah, was. Overall, overall, that team's just – all in this year, they have no more cap room, and they decided this is their year, so they're just gonna go try to win it. Yeah,
0: this is um, definitely a move that, that's gonna make the offense better. But I have been seeing on social media t- people are, are saying they're gonna be a contender this year. That's too much. Um, in case people didn't realize Julio Jones doesn't make the defense better, which was a which was a putrid last year, their defense was ranked 24th overall. They gave up 27.4 points a game. And they got Bud Dupree, which was a knee, but they also lost to Dory Jackson of the Giants. Um, and, and you know, they, they were already bad to begin with. They got Caleb Farley in the draft, but you don't know how good a rookie corner could be. They either usually hit or miss their rookie year. If he can emerge as a great talent and stay healthy, then then maybe the defense will be better. But overall, this defense did not get better. So I, I really – maybe it got a little better, but I don't think it got much better. It probably got worse. So, well, yes, they're going to be fun to watch on offense. I don't really see them winning more than nine or ten games. Uh, I don't see them outplaying the Colts for that division because they're just going to give up too many points. Their defense isn't good, let's just be honest here. it will be fun to watch, but – from a realistic standpoint that I don't think they're going to go very far with that defense.
1: Yeah. I do. do. Oh, yeah.
2: I actually think the defense will improve next year when you add, I don't think it'll be very well. I still don't think it'll be much better though. So, so their only real like loss that played last year is Kenny Vaccaro who they cut because they needed cap room. But uh, Adore Jackson was hurt all year last year, so that's not really a big downside. They're adding Bud Dupree, Caleb Farley, Rashawn Evans is going to be one year better. Jayon Brown's going to be one year better. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is going to be one year better. I just think o- overall the team's going to get a little bit better. I don't, I don't think they're Super Bowl contenders, but I think they're at least AFC contenders because like the Buccaneers are just way too good. But like o- overall, that team is getting better even if they lost, like, Jadavion Clowney, who barely played, Adore Jackson, who barely played. And I guess Kenny Vaccaro was a pretty big loss. But otherwise, you don't have much going out, and you brought in a good amount.
0: I mean, they, they definitely could be. I'm not saying they won't. I just personally don't think the defense is good enough to win the AFC. Um but yeah, they're definitely, like I said, going to be fun to watch. It's that they're going to put on a show. Everyone's going to want to see them with Derek Henry, AJ Brown, and Julio Jones, what a star studded offense. That's going to be, um, we're just about to wrap up here. Any last minute thoughts on anything guys before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, I think uh I agree that the defense is still an area of need for the Titans and that will probably be what holds them back, especially since, you know, they were so run heavy, which you would think would, you know, increase your time of possession, you know, helping out your defense and your defense still is one of the worst in the league. So now if you're passing the ball even more with Julio Jones and a developing A.J. Brown, does that make expose the defense even more or does it allow the defense to step up and really make a difference? So we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, football's a long time away right now. We still got the main thing is the NBA playoffs in the second round. We'll see where that goes. We got four months left of the uh, baseball regular season. Lots to come with that. Overall, uh, it's going to be a jam-packed next few weeks. We're going to have another episode coming out soon. Um, but as for this episode, we're going to sign off. So thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.